oh, there's also this man with blue hair. Let's have an affair with him. Welcome to Grape Culture, the podcast where we talk about feminism and pop culture. I'm Sam. I'm Kim. And I'm Alex. And we hope you enjoy the episode. On this week's episode, we are talking about the Netflix film Do Revenge, which was directed by Jennifer Caton Robinson. But before we get into this sort of angsty teen 2022 version of a 90s movie, we've got mm. some wine, although we are recording remotely, so everyone has slightly different wine today. Kim, I'm going to come to you first. What have you got and why have you got it? Excellent. I have got the Cremant de Loire Brut off of Lidl, which is sparkling wine. We thought it would be fun to have something fizzy for that sort of posh girl lifestyle that's displayed in this film. But I thought that it would be fun to get one that's secretly not that posh and maybe it's not exactly what it seems. Ooh. Ooh. Foreshadowing um, of the movie by any chance, Kimberly? Pretty much, yeah. My tasting notes are made by the same method as champagne. Cremant de Loire is hugely popular in the bars and restaurants of Paris. Crisp, smooth and appetising, this fizz has honeyed and gentle floral characters. Not too dry, this nicely balanced bubbly would be delicious, served as an aperitif with savoury canapes, like all fizzy wine. It didn't say that last bit about like all fizzy wine, but there we go. That's my tasting notes, we shall see. Over to you, Alex. My tasting notes are closure, cork, point bottle away from yourself and others when removing the hood and stopper, as it may forcibly eject by itself. I have the, I never know how you say it, Fregenet thing, the the thing that's in the like diamondy glass bottle. I have the fizzy rosé, sorry, Italian rosé sparkling wine. And the notes say, Fregenet Italian rosé is fresh and fruity, showing flavours of red fruit. Someone did proofread this copy. You can't eat fruits three times in the same sentence. White flowers and ripe apples. It is a delightful wine to be enjoyed on its own or as a refreshing pairing with food. Just food. food. Any food. I do think this might have been written by AI because it's like a robot went, ah, human (laughs) things, food and apples. I mean, it's it's very, very basic. So I don't really feel like we, any of us, have got the champagne lifestyle (laughs) that this movie represents with our wines this week. But cheers, nonetheless. Cheers. 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 I didn't actually say what mine was, by the way. Oh, yeah. uh, it's Prosecco Irresistible from Co-op. There we go. Excellent. We really pushed the boat out on this one. Just, just as descriptive as the two. Fizz? Mine is nice. Good. Fizzy could make feel nice. For something with no tasting notes? Yeah. That's very good. Kim, you look like yours is someone's trying to give you an enema with yours. What's happening? <laughs> oh, God. It's fine. It doesn't really taste of anything. It smells awful. Yeah. Wouldn't want a lot of it. Like, it smells like a headache, but tastes all right. Ooh. Smells like a headache. Stings like a bee. Good stuff. Mine is there. That's about all I've got. <laughs> Good. <laughs> liquid going on my face. So, we are all suitably impressed with our cheap fizz. <laughs> How did we feel about the movie Do Revenge, which is on Netflix and came out a couple of months ago? I quite liked it. Like, okay. I thought it was very entertaining and I enjoyed it and I enjoyed seeing references to things that I knew and I kind of wish that I'd watched it 
in a more relaxed way because I watched it for the for this podcast in around other things, which I like I feel like it's meant to be indulged and enjoyed in. Indulged in and enjoyed rather. Wow. And I didn't really get to do that. But I thought that it was a visual treat mm. as well as a quite funny but thought provoking. It definitely did have compelling aesthetics, shall we say. Alex, what did you think? Yeah, the costumes were amazing. Yes. Yeah, loved the costumes. Um, yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. I think it was, like we said, lots of references to perhaps the films that we grew up with. I, I'd probably watch again. Like, I think it's like a definitely like a Sunday vibe or like an evening with mates drinking wine. Yeah, I thought it was good. Great stuff. Um, I had conflicting opinions about it, which were that I both enjoyed it and hated it. <laughs> I know exactly yeah. what you mean. Yeah, because yeah. no, there were definitely points where I was like, ah, make it stop. This, there were points but, where yeah. it made me angry, not just because of the situations, but just because I was like, oh, this film is trying too hard. Um, and also there were points where I was like, meh, this is quite fun. Uh, so, yeah, a mixed bag for me. So this was a, a movie that elicited conflicting feelings, should we say. But for anyone who might not have seen it, what is it about? Can someone give us a, a quick summary? So Do Revenge, we open with our character, one of our main characters called Drea, but Andrea. Yeah, And she is at her birthday party. It's very lavish. There's lots of popular people, the cliche people that you would see in these kind of 90s, noughties, female-led rom-com films. But then there's fireworks and her lovely, adoring boyfriend is like, I did this all for you. And she's like, my life is so perfect. They're then in the car having a saucy moment. And he's like, I love you. And then he basically lures her into this, I'm going to send this saucy video to you. And then the next day, the saucy video is leaked. Dun, dun, dun. And basically, Drea's whole world is falling apart and crumbling. And straight away, she assumes it's her boyfriend. And then during this whole dissolve of her world of being popular queen, who also has worked hard to be popular queen because she's not as rich as the rest of them are, she becomes acquaintances with this character who's called El Eleanor, Eleanor. <laughs> which by, we assume is by chance and Eleanor gives her a ride home and within that ride we find out that Eleanor has this awful thing that happened to her when she was younger that basically made her world come crashing down and was, and then Dre is also sharing the fact that her world has recently come crashing down as well. Fast forward, Eleanor is now at the school that Drea is at and they agree that they are going to do each other's revenge because they've both suffered this awful thing at the hands of people at the school. But they are not tied together. No one would ever assume that they are undercover doing the revenge of each other and so they hatch this plan. Blah, blah, blah. Plan happens. We see hilarity. All those kind of things that you would assume would happen. Friendship is lovely. Oh, we love each other so much. Oh, there's also this man with blue hair. Let's have an affair with him. That's really nice. And then 
Bum, bum, bum. We learn all things that aren't what they're cracked up to be. And Eleanor actually has the whole time been seeking revenge on Drea. Anyway, fast forward, they're at a fancy party. They want to take everyone down, but then they're like, oh, but our poor, like, we're going to suffer with all this like taking revenge are we really nice people or are we bad people who knows there's also some more romance in there somewhere and suddenly they're driving into the sunset in a convertible car and it's all lovely and there's 90s music play i mean i loved how that started incredibly detailed scene by scene play there followed by there's a man with blue hair and then they're in a party and then the end. So to summarise then, it's a story of two people who meet at school seemingly by chance chance, in a Strangers on the Train-esque. Point is, it's a story of, unsurprisingly, revenge, but it's not revenge that plays out in the way that you necessarily think it will from the start. Both of you mentioned when you were saying about you know, your impressions of the film, that it reminded you of certain things. And the director did say that this was meant to be an homage to those 90s classics like 10 Things I Hate About You, Cruel Intentions, insert other 90s teen movie here. Um, What did it remind you of specifically? Were there moments that you thought were very evocative of certain things? So straight off the bat, Clueless gave me very strong clueless vibes there's a lot of there's a lot of clueless stuff going on there and partially that's because like i fucking love clueless i was always gonna see that first but you know even down to the way that the costumes are designed for the school uniform is so reminiscent of the iconic like share outfit with the plaid it also there were definitely scenes that gave me 10 things i hate about you vibes which i really enjoyed and then of course Mean Girls, like which obviously is not nineties, early aughts, but it was so it was dark, like for like quotes at times. So and that that was very deliberate. So those were the ones that really hit it for me. There are other films that this reminded me of that don't fall into that nineties aughts nostalgia trip, but maybe we'll touch on those later. What about you guys? I'm trying to think if there were. Any others other than the ones you just mentioned? There's something about the aesthetics in the bathroom that make me think of something, but I really can't think what. There were moments in it that made me think of cruel intentions, such as the end when they're driving away in the convertible. But that was also very Thelma and Louise kind of like, we're free, we're wild. (laughs) Yeah, also that. There were moments that... Like the Mean Girls thing that you said, one of the things that stood out to me with that was when they had the, so the the main male antagonist, Max, who was a douche, could have... Worst. Worst man. Worst. Absolute worst. He had a moment, there was a moment in the story where his texts were shared, basically showing that he'd been fucking everybody in the entire year behind his supposed girlfriend's back. And the ensuing chaos from the female students where they set fire to a bin. I was like, this is this is Mean Girls. This is the... Oh, uh, God, yeah. All over again. Um, yeah, like that, corridor. but also... Also, the bit with the throwing up with the mushrooms, there was the girl that goes, Mum, please come pick me up. I'm scared. That was mm. also reminded me of that scene. Basically, all the, the American high school teen. Any American high school teen. But, but then, like, in different me. stages. 
in different stages because I think it's interesting like we've gone from the 90s and Clueless and then you've got Mean Girls which then was superseded by Easy A and then that's superseded we've talked earlier this year about Moxie and this also made me think about Moxie and 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 Gossip Girl and all that stuff so it's like it's it goes through the stages of all the things and then even to things that aren't teen films because one of the films that I was going to mention later was Promising Young Woman which we also talked about mm. recently this was like that but with a happier ending <laughs> basically we spoke about the aesthetic at the beginning the aesthetic makes it so like undateable like there isn't really an era the only thing that gives it much like any film or whatever is technology. That's the only thing that makes it modern. Actually, if you strip away the iPhones and yeah. YouTube, then the costuming, like everything, the is soundtrack just... is very. Yeah, that, that's like, what I was just about to yeah, say versatile. as well. Like, it's mm. it's like so so much of it is nineties, but then there's also like some Billie Eilish in there. I agree that it it would take very little tweaking to take you out of that the plot was not so dependent on it except for the the text message stuff which again to be fair picture phones and revenge porn have been a feature of most of our lives at this point so it's not it's even though for us because we remember a time before technology it's not so dating i guess it's true it it did it does have this timeless evergreen quality mm. to it it's an attempt at timelessness which was we just appreciated yeah. i think although it's timelessness set within the last 30 years so it's not yeah that timeless but yes agreed and i, th- I think bef- before we started recording we were saying that like netflix has like this aesthetic and yes. i feel like that is very a netflix thing it's like yeah it- it's undateable um, you see it in you see it in sex education. You see it in Heartstopper. You see it in various things of a similar ilk on Netflix. And this did. If someone showed me this, I'd be like, Netflix made this. Moxie, yeah. it's the same. Moxie's Netflix. Yeah. So in terms of the characters, then we, Alex, you mentioned that obviously there's you start with Drea, who's this scholarship student in a very wealthy sort of Ivy League funnel school, gets a lot of students into Yale many 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 rich people a lot of ridiculous parties this very affluent background and then you have eleanor who is a transfer student who is queer as we learn and her vengeance is all based around this girl that she met at camp who she came out to who then went and told everybody that basically eleanor was this predator what did you think of the protagonists in this eleanor and drea did you like them did you not like them and was there anyone else that stood out to you either because you hated them because you really like them i think again it's a very netflix thing at the moment to have no characters that are typically likable none of the characters are likable but you actually really like them it's quite a common thing at the moment i feel when you actually break down a character and you're like they're not someone that you would want to be friends with actually some of their actions are really questionable i don't think you're meant to like the characters but then almost celebrate their their realness but like absurdity in the realness because i don't i hope that not a lot of people are like them who knows in terms of likable characters the guy with blue hair was quite nice he was a nice guy (laughs) 
Ah, the tortured artist whose parents got divorced. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, very, like, very, super... very in depth character development in him. He was the least unlikable, I think. Well, maybe um, that's what it is. Like, he, he, there wasn't enough screen time with him to actually dislike Russ. him. His name is Russ, I think. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. If we're talking about the hierarchy of worst to least worst, <laughs> Russ might be up the top. Carissa, is it Carissa who's the actual. The, the Instagram witch. No, no, the one that's oh, no, the, the ex-girlfriend yes. of Eleanor, who actually wasn't the horrible... Drug baron. Well, yeah, she's a drug baron, but she wasn't actually the horrible person that yeah. we were made to believe. She actually was fine, though, wasn't she? She didn't do yeah. anything bad, apart from... Nah, you know, she was kind of a knob. She was just, she was just a bit judgy. She was a bit blah. She was a bit blah. But... Well, I suppose that's the thing. The nice characters were a bit blah. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that both the protagonists were unlikable but in clever ways and that also gave me Mean Girls but Mean Girls on its head vibes a bit and I I didn't love to hate them but I had a favourite and I found myself rooting for them both to get along but not in a sunshine and rainbows way but in a just like stop fucking with each other and fuck with everyone else who's worse because they don't know that they're worse like they both both the characters were at least attempting self-aware it's that thing that janice ian says which is like at least regina george and i know that we're bitches like they both know what they're doing um and then there, there were like you say bland characters I don't think we can say whether they're nice or not because we don't have enough information about them. I would argue that Carissa is just as bitchy in her own wielding of power way as anyone else. If she get like if this was a story about someone trying to infiltrate infiltrate the farm club, she'd be the fucking bitchy queen bee. Like she's just as she's just as narcissistic about having all the power and everything with her secret thing and her secrets and her control as as anyone else it's just that we don't see as much of her and she gets more more wronged because her actions don't have personal consequences to anyone else that we um meet like her growing drugs is not a personal consequence on anyone in in the thing russ is fucking vanilla porridge and i think the thing that i liked and didn't like about this film is that everyone was awful even the people that are supposed to be good and woke but the reason i liked it is because i don't think that anyone pretty much is a perfect noble specimen of a human being at 17 you are still supposed to be learning you don't know everything at 17 and i've so many tv shows with saviors and shit are like I know everything as a teenager and I am a good and honest person 100% of the time and I never have a wicked thought and I'm just so maligned and it's like that's just fundamentally not true even the nicest of people have bad times and you can grow to be a good person you're not just cast in stone at 15 and then that's the person you are for the rest of your life mm. so I liked that there was change growth acceptance none of it was necessarily 100% 180 turnaround of now I'm a nice person a la Mean Girls but yeah it was rich people problems and and with with nuance 
I think that's a really good point about saying someone at 17 is not a fully rounded human being and actually they are all going to feel like they are the centre of their own universe because that's what you do as a teenager and I think even yeah. Sarah Michelle's Sarah Michelle Geller's character says something about at 17 you're like free so it's almost mm. like you see them go to that point so I think it's good I was just saying I think it's a good point it's a good point <laughs> in terms of the characters I like no no one this no. this is this no one no characters this is part of the problem I have with this show is that I don't I don't believe that you have to like every single character to enjoy a show I don't even believe you have to like any or or a movie um but trying to understand who you were meant to root for was really hard because the actions of everybody were deplorable <laughs> and you could argue that what Drea and Eleanor were doing was delivering just desserts but it also wasn't there's a difference between some of the wrong like how do you equate the wrong justice so, and revenge there's a yeah, difference exactly. between justice and revenge which is part of the reason I was part of the reason I didn't like this film was because I was like I don't know how I meant to feel about any of this I don't know how I meant to feel about the way these characters are behaving because on the one hand I'm really enjoying it on the other hand I'm like but it's bad bad <laughs> I think that was a good thing and again I get in this like cycle of confusion because I liked I think I liked Drea and I think Eleanor annoyed me but I'm almost like but they were both annoying and they were both dickheads and Max was the worst it was like he was the benchmark oh, for the worst, the worst and everyone else just slotted in at less bad that was all it was <sighs> But that's testament, I think, to the performances and the writing, this kind of nuance. I don't think the point of this film is to come away loving either character or wanting to be BFFs with them. I think the point of this film is to make you question this exact thing that we're questioning. Yeah, it was more complicated than I think many films of this genre are in terms of emotional response and character development because there was no everything was shades of grey not 50 just there were shades of grey not in the costumes though one of the things that we touched on here as well um alex you mentioned this and i think i then mentioned and and Kim, like all of us have touched on the soundtrack of this film and the idea that it's this span of teen angst almost so you've got you know, uh, Meredith Brooks, you've got Billie Eilish, you've various things. Do you think, what did you think of the soundtrack? Did you find that it made it too non-specific or did you find it genuine to the film? Because for me, I was like, why are they putting so many different eras in this? But then I was like, but my musical taste is not made up of just the music that I grew up with as a teenager. I listen to a lot of 70s stuff. I like music is such a, your musical taste is such a hodgepodge of things. Do you think it added to the authenticity or do you think it was just a bit try? I mean, I loved the soundtrack. I think regardless of what the thought was, and maybe it was a little bit on the nose sometimes. It was quite that. literal. It yeah. was very literal. Yeah. Kim, what what are your thoughts on the soundtrack? I agree. I think the soundtrack was very literal, but I really, I, I mostly enjoyed it. I mean, I knew I was gonna because it started with Olivia Rodrigo, who I love. 
And I did find myself thinking, listeners, get out your bingo cards. I did find myself thinking that I bet the people that made this film wish that they'd had access to Taylor Swift's latest album before they made it because it's absolutely perfect for it. I think that I liked the intentionality of it. It felt like like you're going, I understood that reference in the same way that the 90s film stuff did, including the music from different eras felt like, oh, I understood that reference because it's all songs that's in these films that we're that we're referencing that it's paying homage to. And there is such a cult of, of 90s nostalgia in, in the youths these days as there was 70s Ooh. nostalgia and stuff in our youthhood. So I think that it was a little bit of a like a, a gift to those who are like oh i got that because i'm cool okay so on that note it's time for us to take a break refill our glasses have a wee and then we'll be back to talk some more about do revenge so we are back from the break we still all have our various fizzes how is everyone finding their wine alex how's yours going down mine is going down very nicely it's very drinkable, yeah, actually, for the tasting notes being about impaling yourself with a cork. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Impale yourself with this wonderful wine. Great. Glad you're enjoying it. Kim, how's yours? Mine is a glass at best. I'm drinking it because it's there, but it's not. <laughs> I am not having a great time with it, if I'm honest. Like, if you had this as a party or, like, Nothing. if this was given as a toast at a work function or something like that, like you'd all get a glass and you'd be like oh that was quite nice and then you drink something else and even if you didn't like it you'd be like well I only have a glass it's only for toasting it's fine but it loses its any charm that it has after that first glass great yeah how about you Sam (laughs) (laughs) my generic pink fizz is fine I still have like I have nothing to give beyond it's okay it's there I don't hate it. But speaking of things that didn't leave us feeling bland, let's talk some more about Do Revenge, which is the movie that we're talking about today. So we talked a bit in the first half about the characters, the main characters who are Treya and Eleanor. They are complicated people. How did you feel about the way the relationship between them was developed? Because it was very love-hate. Kim, you mentioned Gossip Girl. It was so kind of like Blair, Serena extreme was it a dynamic that either of you enjoyed or didn't enjoy enjoyed it i didn't understand it i i it was never 100 percent clear to me it took me a while to cotton on to both why they were friends and that they were friends and i think that i've seen other films where you have this odd couple secret friendship thing that feels more explored so I had a frenemy relationship with their relationship, I guess. Um, Interesting. Yeah. What about you, yeah. Sam or Alex? My So my feeling was, it was interesting because I was conflicted because I thought that it was how there's this tendency, there's this narrative about women hating other women just for the sake, just for the virtue of the fact that they are the women it wasn't exactly that but it did i don't know it just felt like there was this there's this belief that all friendships have to have some element of hatred and competition buried deep in them and it felt like it fed into that slightly for me but it also 
was it showed that people can still have a friendship after you've done terrible things to each other and I, I couldn't work out if that was this is again part of the reason I was conflicted about this film because I was like this is not is this a harmful narrative to say like someone fucked you up this much and actively went out to hurt you just be friends with them anyway or was it a was the forgiveness aspect something that you should also take like a I don't know. I found it really, really hard to interpret their friendship. And I think ultimately I enjoyed the way it played out, but I don't know if it was realistic. Mm. That's fair. Twisted soulmates, as they said. Yeah, but at the same time, again, it sort of... To me, I, I went back to the... Yeah, but we all do shitty things as teenagers. And, like, it's it's so complicated and I mean I've never done anything that shitty I think but at the same time I do think that I think that friendships can recover if you are like vulnerable and honest about what was the issue in the first place I think this is a hyperbolic and extreme and slightly campy version of that but like I don't think it's an inherently harmful message. I also don't think it's an inherently good message. I think this is a complicated film. Alex. I think I think the thing I have a problem with is that Drea the only moment that Drea owns up to not even what she did, but the person she is or was, maybe, isn't in that moment just before they film Max. And it's just such a fleeting moment. There is no point where she... There there isn't much of a journey from her realising that she's a bit of a knob to suddenly going, okay, but actually what I want is to be friends with you and I want to have the blue-haired man as my boyfriend and I want to sod Yale and all that stuff... It feels very sudden and throwaway at the end, which I think was its downfall because the 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 downfall of Max happens over the course of the film and we're rooting for that because he is a, a complete dick and we, we want that to happen. But actually, if you... I didn't realise the twist, but if you do realise the twist, Drea's comeuppance isn't really there like it's obviously she suffered this awful thing that her boyfriend that she trusted did but that wasn't part of the revenge that's just a terrible thing that happened to her and her realizing that actually she's not a very nice person and she thought that she was and she's hid behind this well I'm not as privileged as everyone else and privileged people get it handed to them on a plate that only happens in like two minutes like one minute maybe of the film So I'm a bit sad about that because I actually think that Eleanor had a lifetime to sit on this horrible thing that happened to her. And then she had a whole year of their friendship to realise that actually she, she wants to be a better person towards the person she's angry with, not necessarily all the other people. So I'm a bit annoyed about that. 
but at the same time like you guys I was always rooting for their friendship to materialize and be what we wanted it to be almost so I'm glad at the end they were just like sod it let's be who we are and let's drive off in a fancy car I agree I do think though that their their friendship was so rooted in this revenge that I don't really know what they have beyond it because Eleanor is obviously from this very privileged background that Drea has this sort of has worked really hard to cultivate but also has her chip on her shoulder about they are very different people they don't they didn't really seem to share although there were moments of friendship and things the main thing that that brought them together was this desire for revenge and I don't know how much I bought into this driving off into the sunset together after that but then I suppose you have to be a very particular kind of person to go to the lengths that they both did to seek revenge so they probably are united in their like ah you're a conniving dick <laughs> let's but then be max was also a conniving dick why do well they and then that? but he he very much made because the point. he i can't but he very much made the point that he was like we are the same people but the difference is is he's a privileged male so he never <laughs> it was got any comeuppance so that's what yeah. they were giving him it was very much that Doctor Evil speech of "We're not so different, you and I," wasn't it? With the, yeah. that whole revelation at the end. Kim, he wasn't sorry, and he didn't want connection. He wanted power. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. but it was it was an interesting relationship dynamic for sure. Alex, you mentioned there that you didn't see the twist coming, namely mm. the twist being, and sorry if you've listened this far and haven't seen it, but the twist is that Eleanor was the architect of this vengeance all along because of an event at camp that happened with Drea years ago that Drea has forgotten. I can't believe she's forgotten that. (laughs) No, I know. It was just weird that they were like, she had a nose job and suddenly she's unrecognisable. You're like, "Mm, is she though? Did you see the twist? You didn't see the twist coming. Kim, did you see the twist coming? A little bit. A little bit. There were... I mean, to be fair very early on Eleanor is like little does she know it but we're gonna be besties and I was like right something's not right with this this chick something like I'm sus about this already and then there were a couple of other points it was the line when that comes back to haunt her where she goes like a narcissist doesn't even realize that they're being played and I, and and Eleanor makes a face and I was like oh I see that face and so I had my suspicions but to be cars on the table to be completely honest I had my suspicions and then I wasn't 100% convinced that I was going to be able to pay adequate attention to the plot of this today whilst I was watching it so I read the Wikipedia article and confirmed my suspicions so it did colour oh, my viewing of the rest cheating. of the film I did cheat, but I cheated with good intentions. It coloured the way that I therefore saw. It was like I'd watched it the second time, not the first time. I therefore saw some of the like more subtle indicators of that that hadn't yet been revealed. But I've already had my like feelings about it. I read mysteries. I read thrillers. I I'm used to this plot twist point. 
And also knowing that it was Strangers on a Train and knowing that it was Hitchcock. And there's also other Hitchcock's films that do the similar thing where it was like, it was the narrator the whole time. I had my guard up already. And so I was coming to this with other knowledge as well that maybe not everyone has. It was a twist that, whilst not possibly the most shocking of twists, is something that you don't really see in a teen movie, I, I think. Generally, the formula for a teen movie is very formula. It, the formula is formulaic. Imagine such a world. But you, you do know what to expect. And I do think this added something that you don't see with, with all of these kind of films. You see in a few, but not many. Do you think this was a subversive twist on the teen movie genre or do you think it was just a modernization of it i would probably say more likely a modern version because i feel like it's we spoke about the like netflix genre all those other references we made before but also like black mirror and all that more dark not necessarily dark comedy but i mean it's 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 a genre in itself really but I think it's the new age of what the modern audience want, which is that mixture of fun, feel good, but also makes you think and go, oh, that's a bit different or, oh, wasn't expecting that. I mean, in terms of what we talked about with the modern references with Promising Young Woman, which is not necessarily a teen flick, but it's obviously a, a reasonably recent film, Sex Education, Heartstopper, all that kind of thing. I agree. Kim? I think it's terribly modern to be subversive. So I think this is both modern and subversive. Like it is clearly trying to subvert things. But at the same time, I think it subverts the subvert in that uh, you've got the very modern way of doing it where it's like, oh, the person you think is the villain is not the villain and the person you think is the goody is not the goody. Fine. But then I think the way that it ends where they both win in their terribleness Mm -hmm. and they remain twisted soulmates and bitches and they get that they get their revenge they come out of that interaction with max to be like i know we just said we weren't going to do this but can we just get some revenge it'll make us feel better i think that in itself is subversive of the modern approach to you, you can be unlikable and still be a good person and blah blah I think it tried to take it one step further. So I think that it is both modern and subversive. And I enjoyed it for that. I I don't necessarily think it completely pulled it off. But Mm. it gave a good crack at it. And I did really enjoy it. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty good point that potentially being modern is to be subversive. And then to subvert again, like you say, with the... uh, Oh, well, we know we're bad people, but fuck it. We're just going to do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that's exactly it. We're both Regina George and they were both Katie Heron. Yeah. And yeah. that in itself was subversive. The, the the casting of who is the Queen Bee and who is the Katie Heron and everything, I think, was also... It played with the dynamics of who you think you're supposed to root for. And by, again, by who you think, I mean by who traditional media has rooted for. So, you know, like traditional media roots for a certain kind of person, a certain looking kind of person. And it's not normally, to be fair, either of these people, but like it plays with who you think is the victim quite a lot in this. And then all of that 
is sort of stage one subversion. And then they're like, oh, secret second twist of fuck it. It doesn't actually matter because men are still worse. And that was fun. That's actually... And not even just men, some women, but mostly men. Yeah. To one of my points throughout the evening about dating as in like a timeless thing that actually does date it because the amount they take the piss out of like i am a, a cisgendered male with like feminist banner and all that jazz and being so woke and everything that does date it because it very much takes the piss out of i suppose the era that we live in but also how much you hate this man for utilizing that like woke attitude to be so sleazy and horrible co-opting discussions that really have nothing to do with him because Um, he is like the most like white privileged male in the world but i do think that was i do think that was smart because it Mm. it was a very big part of making you hate him i I mean for me it was as soon as he did like obviously there was so much that he did that was deplorable but the like the leaking of the tape hadn't officially been attributed to him she just suspected him and then when it was he when he did that like oh i'm still recovering from that thing that happened and now i've made this group about women i was like oh you a prick and then the cutaway at the end where he's like in the group and he's just like oh i feel like i'm in a safe space with you guys and i was just like oh you're just carrying on finding your tribe of the people that are going to admire you because you're so like you're in touch with your emotions and kind to everyone it's like oh yeah he was not he was i mean magnificently portrayed and it made you hate him so much and in which case do you think that the i mean the film is called do revenge it's all about vengeance and the desire for vengeance do you think that the way the revenge played out was satisfactory and possibly a separate question, do you think it was deserved? Kim, let's come to you first. No. No, I don't think it was satisfactory. It was too quick for Max, who was the person that we most wanted to see crumble in this whole film and it was brutal but quick so no didn't find that satisfactory needed more give me more of that please and and i and i think that that's interesting because you could say oh well maybe that's not the point the point is that the girls find each other and and they're they're happy and content with with the outcome and all that sort of stuff but like as you pointed out sam the film's called do revenge so in my opinion, the specific revenge was not satisfactory if revenge was the point. And justified, like... So it's hard for me to say that revenge is justified. But at the same time, he got what I think that he should have got, which was to be expelled. But he didn't do jail time for revenge porn of a minor, which is what he should have done. Because that's what he did. He did revenge porn on a minor. He leaked explicit content of a minor and therefore should have done some jail time and been on some register. And because he is a rich cunt, he didn't. And he got to sit in his fucking tie-dye sweatsuit 
in his support group instead. That is a really good point. And it's interesting that you say that because I think there's a tendency, I think, for teen films to exist in this teen bubble, which I know sounds really mm. obvious, but this consequence, like broader world consequence-free bubble. And the only time in this film that it's really reflected um, in what would be a real-life consequence is when Carissa gets taken away for the drug growing. And like you say, Kim, if this were any real life situation, there should be a real legal consequence. Mm-hmm. But then yeah, you could you could make an argument about, like you say, the fact that he's a privileged white man. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Well the, the argument the argument that rate. Yeah. The argument that Drea makes is these rich people are always gonna be fine if it had been me growing stuff on school grounds i would be in jail right now Mm. and her point is valid and true it's worth stating that both the people that get off scot-free are also white not just privileged not just rich but white because there are rich people of color in this film who we do not see challenged in that way and i think that that might have been a deliberate choice because the protections of privilege don't always extend to wealthy people of colour in the same way that they do to wealthy white people, not to the same magnitude that someone like Max will get off scot-free regardless. And that ultimately he not only does not do jail time or anything for what he has done, he's expelled and he loses his place at Yale, but also we end the film with him with him on our screens and also with him receiving support on our screens mm. as a, as essentially a victim of toxic masculinity which i think again speaks to the subversiveness of this film because not everything ends neatly and not everything not everyone is wonderful and not everything goes right for the people that deserve right things alex what was your f- feeling on the vengeance deserved undeserved I... As a so, it's not necessarily a comment on the deservedness of the revenge. I actually was a little bit disappointed with the revenge because I think up until a point it was really clever. So, I didn't see the twist, like we said, and there was like a lot of cleverness that went into the manipulation of Drea and Eleanor like putting this all together and you're like oh yes like that's really like you made your way into tennis camp you did all this blah 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 and then suddenly the actual revenge that happens with Max which is the one that we're obviously rooting for to have revenge upon him because he's an arsehole wasn't very clever so I was disappointed in the actual revenge i wanted some more cleverness from that i think that's a really good point because it I agree. like the the longevity of the con which eleanor set up to get vengeance on andrea was mm. so intricate and so well thought out and then at the end really the vengeance on max came down to chance and yeah. just the fact that she'd she had a a camera on her and you're like oh 
this is that's it lazy like, yeah so yeah regardless of whether it's deserved which i do think for max it was and to to a point i do think but for, for drea if it really had that much of an impact on eleanor but regardless of how i feel about vengeance as a thing yeah i wanted it to be cleverer Agreed. I, I think that's a really good point. For my part, I was dissatisfied with the vengeance because I don't know. I feel like it just was like, ah, we've done some, a, a series of shitty things. And then as a consequence, some shitty things happened to us. Like I lost the place at Yale. Oh no. And then at the end, she gets it back. And it was like, mm. but she's been shit as well. Like, regardless of what Max has done, she was shit to a lot of people. And it was just like, oh, because the man has, like, the, we've taken down the bloke. Suddenly everything's fine. And she gets Russ back and she gets her friend back and she gets all. And I was like, right, well, mm, I know that we're supposed to be rooting for Drea. But also we're not because she's a she's a twat. Mm. I feel like there could have been something that she lost that stayed lost and there wasn't anything. Mm. She just got all of it back. Well, like we yes. said, like when when she has her like big moment, it's like all of one minute of her like Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I'm so sorry yeah. for what I did. And it's like mm, you've ruined someone's life. That their whole life. They're coming out, they're feeling safe and like they're a person and people thinking they're a predator like that's awful so for that reason i did find the end unsatisfying because i was like for this for this character who is not a likable character uh, like not an inherently likable character to be someone you want to be to have a satisfying ending they have to have learned something yeah i was i was not i was not pleased with the ending so do you think would you regard this as a feminist film i would and here's why Feminism is about accepting, like, you can be what you want to be. And one thing that they do learn in this film, however briefly, and that the multiple characters learn in this film, not just our central characters, is that the tearing down of other women is not the way to, to fix things. And feminism is about equality among all genders, obviously. But as we've talked about before, there is there is a climbing of a hill, and we and, and there's there's a need to be allyship. But there's also not shitting on other people's path. And I felt like this film, problematic as it is in some places, also addresses its problematicism, and basically says there's more than one way to be a woman and that you don't have to be you don't have to be perfect to be valid and that part of that perfectionism is you don't have to be performatively woke to be a valid feminist and I think that that is that is important because it's the performatively woke people that were problematic in this film in many ways so I think it's a complicated one but I think the thing is that we we have to allow for nuance and complication in our feminism because we have to allow for nuance and complication in the people 
if we want equality among people i don't i don't hold with hurting people and i think that that's the problematic part of this film and i don't necessarily agree with that and i don't agree with that hurting people is feminist but at the same time you've got to crack a few eggs to make an omelette and i do think that we have to we have to welcome in a nuance of it takes all it takes all sorts um you don't actually have to be likable to be a feminist and that's okay so with like with complicated feelings i do ultimately think that this film is a feminist film good summary alex thoughts thanks yeah to be honest i don't think i could say that better i think you said that really well i totally agree um regardless of how much i liked the film or disliked aspects i would agree that it is a feminist film for the points that kim just said and the fact that you're left predominantly with an impression of the women in this film being multifaceted and standing up for what they believe in regardless of if you question whether it's right or wrong and forming friendship that is through the layers of who they are as people so i would agree that it's a feminist film interesting i am conflicted i think you make you both make excellent points about feminism is not about being perfect it's about trying i think my issue is that a lot of the film is driven by self-serving means and not necessarily about support of the wider female community and there is a lot of harmful messaging within that around competition between women and the way that it's presented so i think it's part of the story obviously it's part of the story and it's part of the, the point is that it's not perfect but i don't know if i wholeheartedly agree i think it is a story with feminist messages rather than being a feminist film i think that's fair i think that's fair because i think that your point that it has complicated like tearing down message and stuff even if the intent of the film is not to glorify that the lux and glamour of the film and the entertainment value can miss the mark with delivering that message i would say it was a feminist film with non-feminist messages because i think that what the director did and all that stuff is like she was pushing for a feminist film but actually some of the messages the ones that you've brought up about them not stand not being supportive of other women and having bad messages would say that the messages are not feminist so that brings us to the end of the episode this week but before we go we have wine to rate and we also have the 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 film the film that we've been talking about which is dear revenge so let's go to the wine first so alex i'm coming to you and your tasting note plus prosecco what are you giving it the trouble is is i'm not i like a prosecco but i would never choose to just take it 
as a casual drink so i would usually take a white wine if i was partial to a prosecco of the prosecco world this is probably a four quite enjoyed it if i'm just rating it based on my usual taste maybe a three so for tonight 3.5 yeah split the difference 3.5 okay that's decent yeah kim I have a significant amount of this bottle left and I'm planning to pour it down the book. <laughs> oh, no. Um, oh. Which I think is indicative of many things. I also, I'm not just casually going to drink a bottle of Prosecco by myself on a, on a random night, but I like, a, I like a fizz and I like a tipple and I've been known to drink it alone in my house for reasons. The second glass was a genuine struggle to get through and I've actively not poured anymore. And obviously it's it's in a flute so that's a smaller glass than normal and i spilled half of it on my lap so 1.5 wow oh that's that's low that i mean if i'm pouring it down the sink it's going to be low Damn, what about you my frosione italian rosé has been fine for the third time i think i've said that it's adjective fine. it's fine it's fine two 2.5 let's go for 2.5 because that is slap bang in the middle of the road would drink it have drunk it i've still got it's very rare for me to get to the end of the podcast and have wine left i have wine left wow, so yeah. hopefully we enjoyed the film slightly more kim do you feel like it could have a higher rating than 1.5 oh definitely yeah i enjoyed the film i think that i think that i need to give it a better chance to like to really enjoy it but i could definitely see like it's not really the same with netflix now you don't really just have like oh if it's just on then i'd watch it but like if it was just on I'd watch it again. So I'm going to give it just a three. Like, it's just good. Entertaining. I thought it did some interesting things. I thought it had some problematic things. So I'm going to say three, which might be a bit low, but there we go. Solid. Alex? I'm going to give it a 3.5 because, again, I don't think it's groundbreaking. I would do more than just watch it if it was on. I'd watch it again with the knowledge of the twist because I didn't see that coming and I'd like to see that scattered throughout the film. But again, I don't think it's like super clever. My rating for Do Revenge is really hard actually because I, I'm still not sure how I feel about it. It's one that I need to sit with. Because of that, at this point, I'm going to give it a three because I still don't think its message and purpose was fully developed. I think the aesthetic was great. I think the soundtrack was great. I think the performances were great. But in terms of the writing and directing, I have questions. So three. So thanks for listening to the episode this week. If you have enjoyed it and you would like to hear more from us, don't forget we are on Instagram at Grape Culture Podcast. We are on Twitter at Grape Culture Pod. Or you can find us on our website, which is grapeculturepodcast.co.uk. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode for you. But in the meantime, have a lovely fortnight and we shall see you soon. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.